This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up? Welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show. Uh, really appreciate all the, the listeners, the recommendations, the five-star reviews. Um, it's been pretty exciting. Uh, we've gotten good feedback. We've gotten, uh, uh, I think, I'm, I'm very encouraged by our listeners so far, our numbers. Um, I hope you'll continue to give us some five-star reviews, tell your friends, um, do what else are they supposed to do? Share it, download, subscribe, all that stuff, bud. And um, you know, hopefully we can continue to grow this thing and, and, and keep on uh, keep on moving it forward. Got, got a lot of feedback on the last episode, Barton. So, some people are Team Barton, some people are Team Bud as far as that draft. We got our, our Google Calendar reminder here to, to get back to that that episode uh, come early December or whenever the season is actually played. But uh, speaking of drafts, we, we should probably get into this, and, and we do appreciate all those reviews. Uh, instead of reviewing, we're going to preview uh, the NFL draft and kind of debate a little bit about maybe what teams should do and also just kind of get into what we remember about some of these uh, prospects as recruits, because I, I think we're in a unique situation where we're not really mock draft guys. Although shout out to your uh, your GMing there on uh, on CBS HQ recently, but most of these guys in these mock drafts have not seen these kids since high school, and we've seen a lot of their their progression uh, since high school, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I think that this is so. You and I both, Bud, are not NFL guys. We, I mean, at least I'll speak for myself. I think I've heard you echo something similar. Uh, just don't watch a lot of it. Not because I don't, I would love to watch the NFL. I, I would love to, to hunker down on the couch on Sunday and watch as much NFL as I can. But between trying to watch high school football on Thursday or Friday, trying to watch college football every weekday game we can get, and then obviously morning to midnight uh, at, uh, on Saturdays, writing about it on Sundays. It's just not, there's just not enough hours in the day, hours in the week, days in the week to dig into NFL as much as I would like. So I'm not going to pretend to know all the needs of, of all these teams. I'm not going to pretend to, to even have a great feel necessarily for kind of where the game is going positionally in the league. Now, what I do have a good feel for is where, where trends are heading in the draft, because that's something that, that I and we study pretty extensively because that's our, we take our cues from that uh, in terms of our evaluations. But I think the, the perspective that we have from seeing these guys from high school, then really digging in on them significantly in college as well, I think it gives us some perspective. We may not be digging into the film as much as the, you know, the Bill Belichick and some of the GMs, but I, I think we've we've got a pretty good feel for who these guys are in a pretty comprehensive way. Yeah, I, I look, I I enjoy watching the NFL, but I don't really have a whole lot of time to do it. Typically on Sunday, like I'm if I'm not spending time with the family, I'm breaking down the numbers that just came out as far as the analytics stuff. I'm trying to see if I saw any key injuries, and then I'm getting ready for the live gambling show. So. Like watching the NFL doesn't really fit in that. And then like, my wife is too sharp to this, man. She'd be like, wait a second. You cover college football and recruiting. Like, babe, this is no, like we're not watching more football as our entertainment together. Uh, let's, let's watch Ozark or, you know, something like that or some, some fantastic CBS show. Maybe Blue Bloods uh, could. Could be uh, be good there. Great cross, cross promotion there. Same reason I can't uh, I can't get four hours on the golf course in on a Sunday either. Like that's not going to fly when I'm traveling to camps on the weekends and then spends nine a.m. to one a.m. watching football on Saturdays. So that, that's do you play? Links. No, I mean I wish I play once a year probably, and so I play you know I, I just enough to where I can go out there and, and hack it around a little bit. But no, I don't I don't have the I don't have the rope to get out on the course, especially not not with a third on the way. That's uh, that's it's going to be difficult. Uh, so, 
how do we want to do this? You want to throw some questions at each other and kind of go back and forth, or, or how- I, I look. I thought uh, I thought a good way to approach this would be just a, a couple of the questions that I think are interesting go into the draft that we can, you know, we can kind of go back and forth on. I, I'm I'm legitimately curious on what your opinion is on some of these and whether it it varies from mine. Um, so I, I'll kick us off, and then you know maybe we can kind of go back and forth with it. Um, and, and this one, this initial question was sparked by a story. I think it was Gil Brandt, um, compared Henry Ruggs to Darius Hayward Bay. And we, you know, aggregated that and a 24 seven. And I was just kind of reading the, the quotes and I found them interesting. And so I'm going to toss this to you and, and then kind of get your initial reaction to it. And, and I'll kind of give you my, my thoughts on it as well. But, but here's the question. Basically, bottom line is, is Henry Ruggs just a combine guy? Or is he a complete receiver that you can trust in the first round? I'm going to trust him, right? Like he, He's impressed me and exceeded my expectations basically every step of the way. When he was a, a football recruit, he really wasn't that refined, in my opinion. Now, he wasn't a bad receiver obviously he was pretty damn good but for a while Ruggs was actually a better basketball player than he was a football player he also kind of ran track and and won track meets in his spare time I mean he he's a guy who's shown that he's a very versatile athlete uh we knew he had the 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 long speed the thing in my mind just what I think back to with with Ruggs in high school was was the vert right but it wasn't like the combine style vert it was him going up and mossing people at the high school level and coming down with some ridiculous catches, which was awesome. But when he got to Bama, like the stuff that impressed me was the long speed is clearly amazing. And he continued to moss guys, but man, he made difficult catches. And I don't mean like going over a guy to make a catch, but you could, you could trust him to catch the ball and take a hit, right? Like he showed that component to his game. Is he the most refined route runner in the world? I, I don't think so. But like you compare him to Darius Hayward Bay, I don't remember Darius Hayward Bay making these crazy athletic catches. Like I remember him catching the ball and then taking it to the house because he could use that speed, but I don't remember him doing some of the other stuff. Like, did you ever think of him as a real tough receiver who you could count on to, to make a clutch catch and then take a hit, and hold on to it? I no, but with Ruggs, I I think of him that way. I pose this question to myself with the expectation with I mean, look, I know in my head what my answer was, which is what no, I believe in this kid. And, and as a receiver, I, I don't think he's a Darius Hayward Bay. I don't think he's a future bust. I think he's a guy that's a potential top receiver in this draft. But I wanted to to do the question some justice and and dig in a little bit and make sure that I, I was thinking through this. And so uh, the the top the thirteen fastest forty times at the receiver position in since two thousand six in the NFL Combine, and the thirteen number and the two thousand six number is just that that's what that's the first group that popped up on NFL.com. And that's that's how they, that's what they dated back to. Here's the names. <clears throat> John Ross, Marquise Goodwin, Jacoby Ford, J.J. Nelson, Darius Hayward Bay, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella, Curtis Samuel, Will Fuller, Jason Hill, Chad Jackson, Brandon Cooks, Philip Dorsett, and Michael Hardman. So, and, and that's 427 to 433. That's, that's the, those guys' speed. And so among that group, you got John Ross as a first rounder who's looking busty. You got Darius Hayward Bay, first rounder, bust. You got Will Fuller, first rounder. Not a uh, not a bust, but I think probably like maybe not a first round talent. Maybe, maybe more second, third type of talent in terms of his career. Um, Brandon Cooks, yeah, we'll call that a hit. First rounder. Uh, Philip Dorsett's eh. Probably not a first-round talent. Um, and then there's a couple. That, like the, the list in its entirety, I'd say the best players in the group are Brandon Cooks. Miko Hardman had a good rookie year. Uh, you know, maybe you go Will Fuller in there. It's not like it's, it's point being, it's an underwhelming group. Some of those guys were drafted in a range where like they should be underwhelming. Jacoby Ford was a fourth-round pick, so you know, can't expect too much out of them. But I, I do think that there is an innate instinct to, to get seduced by, by speed. And so, 
when I think about Henry Ruggs, I do think he is a tough player, like not your average speed guy in terms of d- demeanor. I think he's a tough player. I think he makes tough catches. I think he makes big plays in big moments. I think he's mentally tough, all those things. So like, that's the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged by him. I do think he's a really linear athlete. You can go back to high school when he was like a really linear athlete. He's, he's just, he, he doesn't have the same sort of fluidity and wiggle that a Jerry Judy does as a route runner. Um, but he's, he's more explosive, obviously. So, so he kind of compensates in that regard. So I think, and, and I, what you said about him as a, perhaps a better basketball player than a football player. Um, yeah, he was only a basketball player at first. Like he, he didn't even play his sophomore year. And so he is such this innate athlete that he can just pick this stuff up and, and he picked it up as a junior and just balled out. And like you said, like kind of just stumbled onto the track and ran 10, four as a senior. So there's all this innate athleticism in him that I think is really exciting. I I think if you draft Henry Ruggs, you you better have a plan for how to use his speed in a way that like Kansas City used all their speed, in a way that you see San Francisco using sort of the jet sweep motion and Marquise Goodwin or whatever. And so it's a long answer of me saying I do think Henry Ruggs is is a first round guy. I do think he's worth the first round pick, but I don't think you can just assume he's going to be a uh, you know, a first round caliber talent if you're just lining him up outside and using him as a traditional receiver and not really finding a way to utilize his speed. Barton, did, did I hit screen share or something on Skype? Because, dude, I, I literally have written here modern, less busts, right? I was writing down when you read that, that, that list off, I agree. Not all those guys reached their first round potential, but more recently, if you'd like, if you look at that trend there, yeah, the more recent dudes who ran that fast, who also had at least some other skills to justify a first round pick, not many of them, you know, busted. But then I also wrote scheme open, right? Like, is Mikael Hardman a great route runner? No, but I think more recently in the NFL, like, is Tyreek Hill a great route runner? I, I, he has great agility and great stop start and the top end speed is nuts. But I don't know if his like technical route running skills are amazing. So I agree. If you just put if you put Henry Ruggs on the outside and play one-on-one iso ball, I think there's corners in the league who will lock him down. If you scheme him open, I think your results are going to be extremely good. Because if, if you get this guy the ball with a step, there's not a lot of guys who are going to catch him. Uh, it, like I, That's the key. Ruggs came along at the right time, in my opinion, for this NFL. Because I think more teams are getting more creative. They're, they're spreading the field more. They're using you know all 55 and a half. It just makes sense for him right now. If you give me him and a rug 15 years ago, I I don't know if he's a great NFL player. Right. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at with it. I think he's coming along at the right time. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see where he goes. Because at one point, Daniel Jeremiah, I think, uh, was starting to hear some buzz about first receiver off the board. Um, it'll be pretty fascinating. Where do you want to go next, bud? What's your, your, your turn? Let's go ahead and actually stick at receiver. I want to ask you this. I'll, I'll put you on the spot, put you in the hot seat. First receiver drafted. I'm not saying predict who it will be. I, I, in fact, I mean, if you want to, fine. But who would you take? Would you take Ruggs, who we just talked about? Would you take Judy? Or would you take CeeDee Lamb? Or I guess you can take somebody else. I don't know really who that would be. I think it's these three guys in the conversation. And, and they all certainly have great strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah, I think the tier tier one to me is Lamb, Judy, Ruggs. I would probably put uh, Justin Jefferson as like a 1B tier uh, and then a little bit of a drop. Like, I, I, I do believe in Justin Jefferson. I think if I'm picking a receiver first, though, and I'm, I am partial to Henry Ruggs because he was the number one receiver in, in the 24-7 sports rankings. So I would love it if he goes number one in the NFL draft at the receiver position because not everyone had Ruggs number one. In fact, very few people had him close to number one. So so I'm, I'm rooting for it. But I think if my job's on the line and I'm a GM, I actually think C.D. Lamb might be where I would go. Uh, and, and, and it's because he's just, like, he's so good after the catch. He's so... He's he's such a trustworthy downfield target. I think he's I think he's the most complete in terms of play, play strength, in terms of speed, in terms of ball skills, and and run after catch. And, and so, I think that's 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 where I lean. But it, it's close among that top group. 
interestingly enough, like CD Lamb was the was the guy. He was a four star for us, but he was not. Um, like he didn't have a dramatic. He didn't leave a dramatic impression on me. In, in high school, uh, was a good receiver. There was no question, but whether it's just when I saw him or the settings or, or what, uh, I, I never got a good feel. I didn't, it's not that I didn't like him. I just never really got a great feel for what's this guy going to be in college. I, I, I never got a good feel whether he's going to be really good, not good. He was just sort of a guy I trusted was a quality four-star level receiver. And man, he, he's really like, very quickly in his Oklahoma career, he flashed as like a legit dude. I, I think that's really interesting to me. So in answering my own question, the, the floor guy, the, the guy I'm pretty sure won't bust is Jerry Judy because his route running, his consistency, like he, uh, to me, he offers the, the greatest floor here. I'd be really, sh- really surprised if Jerry Judy is a bust in the NFL. I, I really love his deceleration, right? Like his stops, his top end is not what Ruggs is, I, I know, but like you look at a guy like James Harden in the NBA. Harden athletically is not that special in a lot of areas, but but the area in which he's really, really special and as good as anybody in the NBA is his ability to stop completely. Like that's how it creates a lot of his space. Judy does the same thing. His ability to go from from top end speed to just totally stopped is is really special. And so these DBs have to try to stick with him really close on, on, on these, you know, these stop routes and these comeback routes. And I think this actually allows him to get on top of them on some of the deeper stuff pretty well because they know he has that ability to create that space underneath uh, almost at will. Ruggs, to me, is the, the ceiling dude, no doubt. Like, if I'm shooting the moon, I'm taking Henry Ruggs first. And, and Lamb, I, I think I agree, would be my choice because, to me, he's the greatest mix of both, uh, of both ceiling and floor. So... Let, let's roll. Let, let's. I want to take you to quarterbacks here because there's a couple of interesting. So, I think this is a fun way to phrase this here. So, let's just assume you can't get Tua and you can't get Burrow, and 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 you can you need a quarterback. But I'm not going to pin you down and say you need a starter. Uh, maybe you need depth. Maybe you need a starter. You can take this anywhere you want to. But what would be the quarterback? In what spot in the ra- in the in the draft that you would be excited to land? In other words, look, sure, maybe, hey, maybe it's James Morgan from FIU. You know, you don't want him in the first round, but hey, if you can get him in the seventh, man, you're pumped. Or maybe it's someone in the second. Maybe it's someone in the back end of the first that you think is a real value get. Or maybe it's just Justin Herbert right there at number three or five or whatever it is. Where would you be excited about making a run at a quarterback? after Tua and Burrow. And we can get into Tua and Burrow too. There's an interesting question there I think probably is worth examining. But where would you feel comfortable or excited about landing a quarterback elsewhere in the draft? First of all, you mentioned James Morgan. Who I, Were you at that Ohio Elite 11 regional that he absolutely balled at? Dude, James Morgan has been like... <laughs> <laughs> we He went to bowl, like Very rarely does a kid who commits to a Mac school get a four-star grade by us. The kid went to Bowling Green. It wasn't like he, you know, I don't know, transferred in or like he, he was a Bowling Green commit with a Bowling Green kind of offer list. Dino Babers was there at the time. So that that was, I think there might have been a Power Five school or two that he chose Bowling Green over. But yes, I loved him. And he's been this sort of, he's, he's just sort of teased me with these NFL traits throughout his college career. And I loved him up when he went to FIU. And then, like, people that I knew that were FIU fans were like, hey, your boy had a four-pick game the other day. Like, thanks a lot. And then here we are, and, like, he's still getting some draft buzz. And so I'm, I'm still hanging on to some hope that this dude makes it happen and gets drafted and makes our four-star Mac quarterback look good. And, and, and this is not groupthink, right? Barton and I worked for, with different networks at the time, and, I, and, and we, we both saw him there at that Ohio Elite 11. And I think – I don't know if Burrow was there on that same day. I, I I don't think he was, but there was a number of other good quarterbacks there that day. And I was like, who the hell is this redhead kid from Wisconsin? And he's just ripping it. He's throwing dimes. He's, I, I went back and looked up his stats in high school that the junior year was not great. But my, my thought process for why I liked the kid was, all right, if he's going to a Mac school, like they're going to invest their time in him, right? Like they're, 
he's they're not going to over recruit him. That he's got a good chance to, to to really come out and be something. Now, what I would not do is I I don't think I would take Justin Herbert with a real high pick, simply because. By I, the way, just while you're while you're on that, I think with that point, I just think it's interesting. People might be interested to know, like when I see a kid and throw a four star on him that he's committed to Tulane or something. I I get disappointed when he lands the the blue blood offer and then like the inevitable flip is going to come because if that if if we identified that get kid as a talented player to your point bud you know that that smaller school is going to like they got to make it work with him they have to get, like put everything they got into making that guy hit and so I think that oftentimes those kids have a better chance at panning out at the small school than at the big school that, that they may get later on. So anyway, that's, I, I want to make like double down on that point, but go ahead. Or, or even when a kid flips from like a, a little bit lower level P five school to like, like when he gets to the Bama offer and, and, and he commits here and I'm like, all right, congratulations. Realize that you're probably Bama's third choice in this given year. And next year they will not have to settle for their third choice. They're going to get their number one choice and you will be hitting the, the transfer portal in three to one, you know, no, that's not always the case, right? Like I, there's probably another guy for Bama here who I didn't think was going to be a superstar at Bama and ended up being pretty well. But so to your question about the, about, about the quarterbacks, I let's just establish that you have to overpay in terms of, of draft pick capital to take a quarterback in, in the draft. It's just what you have to do, right? It is Justin Herbert's probably going to be a top 10 pick. Does anybody really think he's a top 10 prospect if you didn't have to have that quarterback pick premium? Probably not. Based on what he did in college, you, you may disagree with me. I I would like to have seen more production at out of him in, in college. And he he wowed me with some plays, but he never I, I never really felt like he was taking over games and dominating them as often as I would want a a quarterback with his physical traits to do. And especially playing in the Pac-12, which has not necessarily been the best league recently, it just it didn't he didn't wow me enough. So I wouldn't go Herbert because I'm going to have to take him in the top ten. If, is there a chance I can get Jordan Love in the back half of the first round? Because I feel like I'm not going to have to pay him some crazy salary at, with the new CBA. If I have to cut him after three years, it's not going to kill my 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 you know my draft or or my salary cap coming up. As a junior, he was really good. As a senior. Really up and down. I, I wonder, you know, like is that worth it? There, I, I might take a shot on him. Yeah, I think that's a uh, that's a that's and that's kind of when I even when I um, posed the question to myself, that was one of the guys I had in mind. But I will say this: like the more I think about it, and, and I'd be curious your opinion on this too. I, the more I think about it, the more I if I need a quarterback, especially if I don't need a quarterback to start year one. But I just, you know what? We got a, an aging veteran that's just sort of a stopgap for me. I need to get somebody in that's going to be my future. I, I think I'd be pretty excited about a Jalen Hurts second-round pick. Maybe mid to late second round, but Jalen Hurts, I, I do feel like, is the kid's a, I mean, the kid is an incredible competitor. Like, you know the maturity and the leadership is going to be there. You you know he's going to work his tail off. And, like, let's let's not knock him. Like, he the kid can play. Like, he can throw. He's not, he's not some just incapable passer. Like, I think for some – like, somewhere along the way, and it, it definitely came from the Bama days when the offense just, just exploded – whenever Tua was on the field. And so that that I think that really colored who Jalen was as a player the rest of the way. But I, I think when you look at the way he sort of developed just incrementally, granted, but but year over year, I, I do think you started to see I mean if you would have told if I would have read you off Jalen Hurts' stat line at Oklahoma when he was as a senior while he was at Alabama as a sophomore, like that probably would have been tough to, to, to sort of comprehend that that's, that's what he became. And so I just think like there's some, you know, there's a little chip on his shoulder, kind of doubter sort of 
mentality that, that Jalen Hurts is going to make some people pay. I think you're exactly right as far as there being a you know, chip on his shoulder mentality, and he has improved in some areas. But we're going to disagree a little bit on this. Well, no, for this reason, and one of the biggest wagers that I made on, on last year's show at my former network was Oklahoma under first half team total against LSU. Because when Jalen Hurts faces defenses that are really good, like the like the playoff defenses that he faced, when he has to make tight window throws before garbage time sets in, right? Like before everybody just like relaxes their defenses, he doesn't do it. His numbers against the really good defenses are are like they're so bad compared to his normal stat line that they're out of whack. Like like if you I'll I'll pull these up. I've got them somewhere in my spreadsheet. But are they okay? So all right. So here's here's a um, I. My my follow up question to that then is, are they so bad relative? They are so bad relative to his other stats. Are they bad relative to just everyone else's stats in the country? Because right. Oklahoma it, can just like you know just put up stupid stuff against bad teams, and I'm not going to knock him for not being able to just do like unreasonable things against really good teams. It's a great point, right? And everybody's stats look bad against you know Georgia's defense in, in, in that year, and then obviously LSU's and the other playoff games that, that he played. Uh, but I think his yards per attempt was cut in half. I mean, it was it was noticeable. I'll I'll, I'll see if I can pull those up for the next episode. Um, it it was enough to scare me off, and I I just now if you use him as who's the kid for the saints uh not kid who's who's the guy for the saints uh who who they use some quarterback you know some package plays uh Taysom Hill like maybe you start him off as that and and maybe Hurts becomes a a better passer i just when i think nfl i think more tight window throws than than what he had to make at oklahoma and i i don't know if i'm fully buying in on his ability to be accurate in, in those small windows all right, so you got a late, you got, a, you got, you're the, you're the Titans. All right, and internally, you got 29th pick, and internally, you've decided that yes, we're paying Ryan Tannehill, and, and forgive me for not knowing the details of his deal, but this is all hypothetical. So we're paying t- Ryan Tannehill, but but ultimately, we're viewing this contract as a one-year holdover. Like we want him for next year; he's going to be our starter, but we don't believe he's our starter beyond that. Let's get a t- let's get a quarterback. Uh, Herbert, Love, Tua, and Burrow are all going to be gone. All right. Is there a guy, and there's a guy that I'm thinking of, and I could even just throw his name out if you want me to, but I'm just curious. Is there a guy that you would be willing to to burn a, a first-round pick on with the idea he sits and becomes your 2021 starter? Is your guy from a school that the Titans once had a famous bust from at the quarterback position? Uh, um, a school of the Titans once had a famous, bu- oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. Actually. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's, that's my guy too there. Like that's the only other guy that I would even consider rolling the dice on. I, I think at the end of the first round, if, if love Herbert to, and, and obviously Burrow are gone and I need a quarterback because I, I, if I'm going first round, I understand there's a bus factor here, but, but. 29th overall pick. I do still want to have that first round upside. And I think Jacob Beeson has the physical tools. Now, does he have the decision making? I eh, I don't know. Like I I wouldn't love the pick, but under those parameters, I have to make a, a pick. I have to get a quarterback. I feel like I have to do it in in that, you know, one of the last picks of the first round. I I think Ace or Eason is uh is a guy I would look at. Yeah. Brady Quinn, when I, I had an interview with Brady Quinn for our social distance video series, and he he believes in Eason as a first round talent, and he has first round traits without question. It's just like to me, the pocket presence scares me some, but I'll be very interested in in what his sort of career arc looks like. Um, but that's yeah, I mean Eason is a Eason's a fascinating one to me. Let's stick on quarterback here. We're seeing a lot of talk on social media, and this might just be people being bored and, and trying to create content, which I get. Tell me you're not a Herbert o- over to a guy. So I don't believe in Herbert. I've not, like I, anyone that's listened to me on like the Cover 3 podcast, anyone that's sort of read between the lines and, and sort of following my writing in college football. It's not that, I, I mean, look, he's good. 
I'm not don't like do not misinterpret that I think the kid's not like he's a he's a good player, but as the second quarterback taken, I just haven't seen it. And so the question then is, and look, we're not sitting here looking at the medicals. We haven't seen the physical reports. I would tr- I I would want to bet on Tua's health more than Herbert's game. And I might, I might miss on Tua's health. Like he might show up and it just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. Um, things the his, his injuries catch up with them and it just doesn't click, but I would be willing to sleep at night with that outcome more so than if I picked Herbert without really believing in him as that guy. And he just isn't that guy. And I think Herbert's probably good enough to be like, he'll be a starter. And it'll be a, he'll, you know what? I, I, I kind of see him as a, as a similar future as, as the other Oregon quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Cause I'm here in, in, in Nashville and Marcus Mariota has been the starter for Tennessee. He's had some good moments. He's had some good games, but he was, he's basically been just good enough to hold on to the job, but not good enough to really elevate the team. And I worry that that's Justin Herbert. And I don't know if that's really what you want in your first round quarterback. I'd rather bet on the talent. And if the injuries get in the way, then you, you move on from there. I'm right there with you. Like, like I, I, me picking Tua over Herbert is not me being in love with Tua as much as it is my, my doubts about Herbert simply because I, I think that a guy with, with that amount of physical tools and that much time in college, by the way, like he came back to school. Like I want, if I'm going to take him over to, I want him to have dominated this last year. I, I want more throws of anticipation. I want more, you know, more comfort and, and adeptness as far as navigating the pocket, which by the way, was extremely clean for, for the most part. Cause that, that Oregon offensive line was really good. And for the most part, again, you don't face that many elite defensive lines in the Pac-12, though there are certainly some. Uh, if I'm going to cut them some slack, Oregon's receivers last year were crap, right? Like they they were injured, they were young, and I'm not sure some of those and guys they were worse had. the year before that. Right. So he has kind of you know, had to make chicken salad there a little bit at Oregon. Uh, so maybe I can cut him some slack. If I miss, if I miss on Herbert, I think it'll be because. I underestimated the negative impact that that receiver group had on him. I think that's an important point to bring up. And there is, I will grant that there's like a possibility that that could, that could lead us astray on Justin Herbert. But I, I've just, I've seen too many games, like you said, but where he's, he's, he doesn't feel like the best player on the field. He'll have moments where he looks like the best player on the field. But I, I've seen too many games where he's not. And I just feel like you got to be the best player on the field to be potentially the first or second quarterback in the top 10 pick. Uh, so that, that's, my, that's my hesitation. Um, totally agree. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Let's go cornerbacks. Ooh. All right. So I'll throw it to you this way. Is there more than two first-round worthy cornerbacks in this draft? All right. So clearly Okuda, right? Who, by the way, like we mentioned – you mentioned you, you saw CeeDee Lamb in person and you liked him, but he didn't blow you away. But yet you you watched his film and you still put a high four-star grade on the guy because like it was obvious and he just wasn't great for you in person, right? But like the film's got to gotta control the, the the in-person we try to confirm what we see on the film. But like if you know the guy plays good competition and he's dominating it, 
then you have to write it off to, all right, the guy's just not having a great day in person on the reps that I saw. Okuda was that guy for me, which is crazy because he was like a top, what did he finish? Top 10 player nationally? Uh, thereabouts, yeah. Like, like I saw Okuda twice, and I absolutely loved his film. And I was so pumped up to see him. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to absolutely dominate. He's going to lock everybody down. And he kind of got turned around a couple times at that, was it Houston or Dallas Regional? I think it was the Houston one, uh, the, the first time I saw him. And then in a seven on, and I was like, I, I think the kid is like a high four-star, low five-star type type kid, but I wasn't sure that he was a top 10 dude. And, and my judgment was clouded because he wasn't dominant for me when I saw him in person. But then you, you threw on his highlight film, it's absolutely ridiculous. And he tests off the charts, so you have to, to kind of write it off to, you know what, bud? Sample set here is way too small as far as seeing a kid in person. The, the, the highlight film has to control within reason. And so I, like, I don't think I would have had, I would have had him as like a a five star, but not a top 10 type guy. And I would have been wrong on that most likely, but he's clearly your number one corner in the draft, I think. And I, I have him plus 350 to go number three overall. uh, And that's now down to plus uh, 105. So pretty happy I'm sitting on that ticket there. The, uh, the kid from Utah is another dude who I, I think will probably end up being a first round corner. Um, Trying to think. Who, by the way, we had a pretty high grade on, and and he was one of your favorites, I think. Yeah, like he was a basketball guy. Um, that's just like I remember he showed up at a seven on seven, like basically straight off the AAU basketball court, and good length, good speed. Was out of Fresno. Um, he he was just a competitor. Like that's one of the the sort of um, that's one of the things I really value in in, in all positions. But as a guy that's you know, not just doing ladder drills all year long, but but is really good in other settings. So that 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 kind of um, hit me to him. And uh, and the the other guy like that's sort of been the more the consensus top corner uh, or first round guy would be the CJ Henderson, CJ. In Florida. So if you assume CJ and Akuda go in the first round, and and I guess like our options would be here for a third first round corner would be like Christian Fulton. Trevon Diggs, Jalen Johnson, uh, Jeff Gladney, maybe the TCU kid. Gladney could be in there. Are, are any of these guys blowing your skirt up? I, I think we will have. I, I think it's more likely we have four corners in the first round than just two. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I now this is not me being like NFL expert saying they should, but just looking at a couple different mock drafts, including one one on CBS Sports, like CJ seems like a no doubter. Obviously, o- o- Okuda is you know is very likely to go. Um, I I think Jalen Johnson. I guess AJ Terrell is another one that's been tossed around in the first round. So basically, like in order to get over your number of two and a half, only one of Jalen Johnson, uh, Jeff Gladney, AJ Terrell, or Trevon Diggs need to go. I I think there's a pretty good chance, and Kristen Fulton, right? Yeah, like. like- I think there's a pretty good chance that at least two of those guys go in addition to Henderson and Okuda. Corner can be a, a tricky position to to eval as a if you're not actually breaking down the film, if you're just someone that is watching the games uh, on the TV copy because the, their best plays may be the plays that quarterback goes elsewhere with the football. Um, and so I acknowledge that that my you know, my ability to, to sort of evaluate this is compromised a little bit. Cause I'm not, I'm not watching the all 22 of all these guys. And I haven't gone through like hours of cutups on their college careers. But to me, like I, I saw Christian Fulton get peeps on this year, man. Like I, I mean, I, maybe there's just the pace of play that LSU push teams to play with. Maybe it's the amount of shots that other teams were forced to take, but Christian Fulton got beat some. Like I remember Texas is like the game against Texas. Like there was multiple yeah. occasions where he misjudged footballs and and they they were kind of picking on him. They were getting away, they were staying away from uh um uh who's who's the corner, the freshman cornerback who we had number two in the country. Oh, oh Stingley. Stingley. They were staying away from Derek Stingley and they're kind of picking on him. So I, I'm a little bit hesitant there for him to be a first round guy. Like Trevon Diggs. He's a he's legit, but I, how many games did you leave the game being like, well, Javon Diggs was was unreal, 
he has like he was consistently good, but I I never felt like he was a dominant force in the game. And again, maybe that is just a nature of me not giving him enough credit for how he affects things beyond just making plays on the football. AJ Terrell, I don't know. I mean, I got a bad taste in my mouth of Jamar Chase taking his lunch in the national title game. So like all these guys are good. Don't get me wrong. And, and but I'm just I think I guess I just think there's a very clear delineation between those top two and everyone else. And so if you get into the back end of the draft, sure. You need a cornerback. There's good players there. Uh, but in, if I were just sort of a GM and had my draft board and just making my, you know, grading my players, hey, maybe there's only 26 first-round grades in the whole country. But there's only two cornerbacks that, to me, I see as that legitimate first-round, no-doubt guy. I, I, I think that's, that's fair. Um, and there's a lot of good positions that you could take, right? Like for instance, offensive line, we, we talked before we hit record here, Barton, I, I think we see six offensive linemen go in the first round. I mean, think about this, like Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, Austin Jackson, Cesar Ruiz, and then Josh Jones. I just named what? Eight guys. Seven guys. There's some Ezra Cleveland buzz um, that he's potentially a first round guy, and the I've Boise even heard, a, yeah, yeah, and I've even heard a little bit of like very subtle Isaiah Wilson could sneak into the first round buzz. The the other offensive tackle from Georgia. Uh, so there's there's a lot of good options. There's no question about it. Is Worf your top guy? I actually like Becton. Ooh, sell me. I mean, he's six. Seven, two, 364 pounds. He runs a five one forty. I mean, you, I'm not drafting no lineman because he, of his forty, but that's a freakish athletic, off like big bodied guy. And so when that's in there, and he's sort of this Orlando Brown, who's a better athlete, and so he's much better. He's a he's as good a finisher as there is in this in this draft. I just don't know. How, I don't know how you can go wrong there. And also, when you think about Makai Becton and what, like the the career that he had at Louisville. So Lamar Jackson was so Makai Becton's freshman year was Lamar Jackson's, I guess, not not his Heisman year. It would have been his. Was that his Heisman year? Uh, his Heisman year was. His sophomore year, I think. Yeah. Right. So that would that would have been fifteen. So I just like his his that that offensive line was horrible, and in, in part that was part of the reason like Lamar Jackson was was a so good because it was it took such spectacular moments for him to 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 outplay his own offensive line, but B they created these doubts about what is he because he's always scrambling. Is he really a pocket passer? Well, it's because he had to scramble. His offensive line was terrible, but Makai Becton was this constant. He was good from the jump. Like right when he showed up on campus, you, you hear about this Makai Becton kid. And then they're terrible last year in 2018, two years ago. And Makai Becton recedes to the background because no one's talking about anyone at Louisville because they're terrible. It's like the worst team in the country in the Power Fives. And Makai Becton was still good. And then this year, their offensive line still wasn't great, but Makai Becton was still dominant. And so I just like that he's been this even amid the ups and downs, the turmoil of a Louisville program that's been straight up bad uh, at least a year ago, Makai Becton has still been dominant every step of the way. And so I, I like that demeanor. I like that background. I, I like the size. I like the athleticism. I, to me, he's like the safest pick of all the offensive linemen. I, I don't really think you can go wrong on here. I. I've always been an Andrew Thomas guy, and just looking at some of these draft boards, it looks like I can get Andrew Thomas maybe outside the top 10. So if I could do that, like if I'm sitting there with pick 12 or pick 14, and you say, hey, hey GM Bud Elliott, you get Andrew Thomas at 14, I'm, I'm really I'm, – I'm, I'm happy with that because, I, like you said, you like Becton because it's the safe and the upside play. I, I look at Thomas a little bit in the same way. He's never going to have the same level of strength I, I I don't think, and, and the same level of bulk that a Mackay Becton has, but the athleticism for him has always been pretty good. Uh, I The other thing I love about Thomas is that 
he almost never is out over his feet, right? Like he seems like like at every level I ever saw him, he was just always in control. And I think body control for an offensive lineman is really important. You know, he's six five, three fifteen, which is big enough, but he he plays within himself. He he's not out there and. A lot of times when you lose reps as an offensive lineman, it's because you're you're reaching, you're overextending, or or you're you're getting you're getting outside yourself. Thomas does a great job of playing inside out and and, and just staying on balance. Like getting a piece of of the rusher is really important. You don't always have to level the guy. He doesn't whiff hardly ever, and I I really like that. And just something that I always enjoyed watching him. Uh, just even in those drills that we watch where. Like where the guys are not wearing pads, it's these one-on-one drills, and sometimes we do see dudes just come up completely empty. Like he would get beat, but he would always at least get a hand on somebody, and it left myself, you know, left myself thinking, okay, this guy's pretty damn good. Yeah, and then he's battle tested. He's been a freshman starter in the SEC, playing against the best defensive lineman in the country for three years. Like that's that's a pretty uh, confidence-inspiring trait that he brings in. To me, Tristan Wirfs is one that I'm I'm just excited to see him go off the board wherever because that was a kid that I was I was high on coming out of high school. But but I think he's an interesting case study just in in kind of recalling his high school uh, path in the sense that so I, I remember seeing Tristan Wirfs at the I believe it was the Chicago Nike camp, uh, the opening regional in Chicago. And he was very mediocre. He was, he didn't, he'd probably never been to a camp before. He probably never done one-on-ones in pass set before. And he was, but, and I came in like excited to see him. That was one of the guys I was really excited to see because, and I think I'd stumbled upon him initially because he had a 50 plus foot shot put. And I was going through shot put numbers and Tristan Wurst had these big numbers. And I was, I was like, man, Okay, what else has this guy got? And he's he his film was good. He was a I found out he was an elite wrestler, and so all these traits. And you're like, all right, like I can't wait to see him. And he was very underwhelming, and so and he was fine, but he was just not one of the better offensive linemen at that event at that camp setting. Ultimately, on sort of an upside hunch, I still pushed for him to get an invite to the Army All American Bowl. We get him in the game, and he belongs. He's good enough, but certainly not one of the most dominant players in that setting either. But when you look at his frame and you look at his upside and when you think about the way he's not he's not been O-line trained year-round, he's not been uh, sort of molded into this ultra-polished um, offensive line prospect. He's just been a guy that's been competing and developing all these different athletic traits and, and you just sort of bet on him. It was no, it was not surprising to see then him get to Iowa and you just immediately hear all this buzz. And then he like, you know, he posts a video of him power cleaning or hang cleaning like 450 pounds. It's like, (laughs) he's unbelievable. Like he's just an (laughs) unbelievable athlete. And I think that it was a good lesson for me to make sure you can't always do this and you get burned if you're just blindly trusting profiles. But it, it was a good lesson for me to 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 not turn your back on a profile if he's if if particularly at offensive line if he's not just you know balling out on kids in in some sort of camp or all star setting because that is such a um, can be such a misleading way of evaluating an offensive line prospect. It's a great point because some of these offensive line academies they. They train their guys to be good in those in those padless one-on-one settings, and if you have not done that before, that that is a it's a little bit of a different skill, right? It's not something that you work necessarily that much in the offseason, you know, going one-on-one with guys w- w- without pads on, or at least you didn't used to. I, I think it's becoming a little more common now. Let me uh, let me ask you about this. Twenty eighteen college star that. If I had told you back in 2018, after the season was done, this guy is not going to be a first rounder. Who would you have been the most shocked about? All right. Okay. Are you going to be options, or I just I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you th- I'm going to give you three options. These are three guys who I don't think are going to be first rounders. So if you have another one that you know maybe you want to throw in there, that's fine. T. Higgins, 
who absolutely mossed out Alabama in, in the title game when, when, when he was healthy for it. Grant Delpit, who had an amazing SEC season in 2018, was, was one of the best DBs in the league. Or LaVisca Chenault, who looked like he just just playing a totally different sport than the rest of the guys on Colorado's roster. It, who of those dudes would you have been most shocked following 2018 if I told you, hey, like they pretty much stayed healthy for the most part, and they're not going to be a first rounder? For me, it'd be Delpit. I, I he he was phenomenal in 2018, and uh, just such um, such an impressive like playmaking ability. He flashed as a freshman. He was the best safety in the country as a sophomore, I think. I don't know who we got drafted that year, but he he certainly had a case for being the best sophomore in the country. And was, I don't know. I mean, he was kind of banged up this year, and so I guess we can we can excuse it to some degree because of that, but it just, just didn't look like himself this year. So I, I would definitely say Grant Delpit. Higgins has always been a guy to me that I, I've worried about in terms of his separating ability. Yeah. Even back in high school, like that was what kept him from being a five star with us. He was, he was, I think, you know, thirty third in the country or something. Like he was right outside the five star range because I just couldn't quite get there with his ability to to separate. And I think in the NFL in particular right now, it's a game about separation. And so that doesn't shock me, even though he, even as he was having a strong career. And I even remember in twenty eighteen specifically, uh, I talked to a a defensive coach that was playing Clemson that was preparing for Clemson, saying, "Hey." Higgins in the guy like the guy is Justin uh Justin Ross and I, you know Higgins kind of clapped back this year in 2019 and had a better season than Ross probably but I think that was a little bit telling even then and then I've never been able to figure out LaVisca Chenault because he's such a he's such like a no one looks like him he's right. such a the, like the way he wins the the like the style of play he brings at the receiver position it's hard to comp him, and so I, I didn't ever quite know what to do with him. I didn't know how athletic he was and uh, whether he was just sort of big boy in these college kids or what, um, but I'm always, anytime again, a, a receiver is winning more with body size and, and body control than he is with, with separation, from college to the draft, I get a little bit, uh, not skeptical is the wrong word, but I give the nod to sort of the separators. I, that, that makes a lot of sense, and, and that that's particularly illustrative here, I think of something that, look, with 24-7 sports, we are projecting not only for college, but for the draft, right? And, and that that matters a lot more in the NFL. I, T. Higgins was really good in college without being an elite separator because he had a lot of his other skills that allowed him to win at the college level, but there's you know, legitimate concern about how that will be able to translate uh, to the NFL draft, which I, I think is is an interesting Interesting point. Uh, 24-7's 2017 top receiver rankings. Uh, Ruggs, Peoples-Jones, Devontae Smith, T. Higgins, Jerry Judy. Top five. Peoples-Jones get drafted this year as long as he's not. He, I mean, he's going to get drafted, right? I think based on his measurables, he has to, right? Yeah, he's got to. I mean, that's a pretty good That's a pretty good crop. Right yeah, there. that, 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 that class was suck. sick. Um, that was a loaded group. All right, let me see what else I got on my on my notebook here. So the running back position, I'm just, just flat out who, who, who's your best, who's your favorite running back in this class? I, I think it's swift because he has, he has like big man attitude, but small man skills, you know, like he, he's a really physical guy, even though he's not that, like, he's not big framed, but he's got, you know, he's got big thighs, but he also makes people miss in short space. Like, Georgia's not a spreaded out team. He he had to run with a lot of bodies around him and was able to to do so. Now, he's the difference between him and Taylor for me, who I think is probably the other option, unless you got another dude who's who's kind of off my board. Uh, Taylor has more of the home run hitter speed, but I think Swift is a little bit better in the other areas. Uh, although, I will tell you this. The guy that I actually think I would want if I could wait. Now, I know we're talking mostly first round today. The way that LSU used Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the way that the greatest show on turf used Marshall Falk. Like, when's the last time you can remember a college running back splitting out wide that off and running an actual route, right? Like, he didn't just stand there and they just threw him the ball. Like, 
he would he would split out wide and and, and he would ISO on on these backers and run legitimate option routes and screw with them and like that's a skill we're seeing more and more in the NFL now the ability to have Edward Solaire do that and he really catches the ball well I mean he had a number of catches this year where he's going up over defenders and and pulling it down he doesn't have typical running back hands or receiving skills I, I like him a lot uh, but I I don't know because of the lack of speed if I would take him in the first round obviously. Uh, yeah, we, this is a bad recipe for a podcast, bud, because we're just, just too much agreeing. Uh, I, I'm, I was, I'm right there with you. Like a, I've, I've, I've wavered back and forth. I've, I've been tempted by Jonathan Taylor a little bit in the top spot, but I just think Deandre Swift is, is my guy as well. Um, he's, you know, he's funny. Like he was coming out of high school. He was five, nine ish two twenty five ish just that's incredibly thick. Like that's <laughs> yeah. a densely built dude. And it's, and a lot of it is thighs, like you said. And that, you know, he's carried that sort of compact physicality to college, but like he, you don't, he doesn't lack for juice. Like he, he, when he touches the football and when I watch Georgia and sometimes it's frustrating to me to watch Georgia because I, I almost wanted to just like, just, pound the rock with swift like georgia will pound the rock but they 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 cycle in all these other packs and i'm just like man give me swift you know holy field or you don't need to see holy field and all those guys <laughs> like, like i agree not, you know let them take some take a breather like they can come in once you y'all have pulled away but give me more swift and so i, I think that he's the guy he can catch he's he's versatile he's explosive he's physical he's i, I just like him the best i think the, the more I sort of watch and think about it. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm totally with you on Clyde edwards Lair. also. I've kind of, I think I even like I jotted down sort of the idea of, look, yes, yeah, Swift is my, is my favorite back in this class, but my favorite drafting situation would be to sort of, I don't know, late, I don't know where the value is on, on Elair, but, you know, late second on Clyde edwards Lair, I, I think would be, if you if you're creative enough to utilize them properly, that that would be a fun guy to have on your roster. All right, let, let me ask you this: process oriented. For so long, I was always of the opinion, like I'm not going to ignore what running backs do at these camps we go to, but it's not the position that I would watch the most because it didn't really reflect what they did in pads, right? Like it's almost all pass catching. There, there's a little bit of the cat and mouse stuff where they're they're, they're trying to make somebody miss, but. I don't know that, that like to me that the value I got on the running backs out of these camps for a long time was sort of their testing numbers and and not quite as much of the drill stuff. I still have the film I shot of Edward Solaire from that that New Orleans Nike regional where he is just crushing guys in in, in these one on one pass catching stuff. But I don't think his testing numbers were anything to write home about from that event. Does the the way the NFL is going now with, with just like every single year in the NFL, teams throw the ball more than than they did a prior year. Like it's 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 almost like like bunting in baseball, except going in the opposite direction, right? Like the Astros didn't have a single bunt in the regular season, you know, sacrifice bunting. Like the passing in the NFL is just going straight up and down as far as the trend line. Does that make you want to evaluate these running backs catching the ball more from these camps than you used to? Yeah, I, I, for sure. Um... I won't call the player out, but I was, you know, that's one of my, like just last night I was evaluating a player and even talking to a college coach about him and, uh, talking about the limitations that I see in him. Like he's just, he was, he's just sort of a compact running back that will carry the football. And he's not as versatile as a pass catcher, not as, as fluid in space. Like those are things that are really high value right now. And, the Clyde Edwards-Elair recruitment was really fascinating because because I'll correct you on this, bud. He had a four four seven forty at the Nike Regional. He had a four he, at, at one of the opening regionals. Now it might have been I don't know what year you're talking about. It might have been you maybe saw him as an underclassman or something. But he was undersized. Obviously, he was listed at five eight. I think people maybe have been skeptical of even that. Like thought of him more as a five seven guy. But he ran a four four seven. He had a four oh four shuttle. He had a thirty nine inch vertical. He, he tested well, but he was undersized. And LSU was coming off this stretch 
where they were just pumping out these big classic LSU running backs, right? And so Fournette, the, yeah, the, yeah, the the Fournettes and and that whole like they had just you know a whole lineup of these guys and the guy and they got Clyde Edwards-Helaire committed early. He was a local kid, and it was a little bit of an afterthought. And it was a little bit of, yeah, we got Edwards Hilaire, but we really need another one. He's not really our, uh, an LSU style back. Like, we like our, our backs bigger. And Cam Akers was the guy. Mm-hmm. And that was the guy that they wanted. And hey, Cam Akers is a stud. And speaking of, like, that's a value pick in this draft. Cam Akers, I don't know, you're, you, you know, you watch a lot of Florida State. I think Cam Akers would be um, a, a nice get later on in the draft. But in, in chasing down Cam Akers, another guy that was a little bit undersized relative to the Cam Akers and Leonard Fournette's of the world was Travis Etienne, who they slow played until he got committed to Clemson, and then that sort of backfired on him. But here, like it all comes full circle because at the end of the day, Clyde Edwards-Elair was as good as any of them, and he's going to get drafted more than likely higher than Cam Akers. Oh, for sure. And, and perhaps even higher than Travis Etienne as well. It's just sort of ironic, and it took it definitely took a offensive shift, an offensive men- like mentality change and, and philosophy change to to really maximize Clyde Edwards-Helaire. But I think that that whole recruiting process w- was was fascinating in the way it, it played out. If they don't have Joe Brady, is Edwards-Helaire is he a practice squad guy who then all of a sudden balls out in games and, and gets a second contract a couple of years down the road? Like, is he a draftable guy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, 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 I agree with your, where you're heading in the sense of however he got into the NFL, I think he would stick once he's in the NFL and he'd be a really good player. But yeah, I, I, to your point, yeah, I think there's probably, maybe there's a chance he gets drafted in the sixth round or something. Um, but as it is now, he's going to be a, a second rounder, probably, I would imagine. I mean, at worst, maybe he's a third, and at best, maybe he sneaks into the first. Do you want to uh, you want to end on this and, and look at our offensive tackle uh, recruit ratings from uh, from twenty seventeen? You got good news for me. So, yeah, uh, when I'm sorting by the by the by the twenty four seven, it's it's messing up. So let's just go with the composite here. But but there's not a lot of disagreement as far as what I can tell. Like everybody was pretty much within, within the same range. Leatherwood, going to be a top pick. Foster Sorrell, I, I struggle to stay healthy. I think some at Stanford, but could still get drafted. I think. I think still got a pretty good shot of getting drafted, but certainly not a lock. I don't think. Walker Little. Uh, Probably going to be one of the top picks next year's draft if he stays healthy this year for Stanford. As long as he stays healthy, he's a no-doubter, yeah. Trey Smith uh, has been absolutely dominant when he's not been off the field with blood clots, which is not something we could have seen coming. But now he's back on the field, so I, I would have to think he'll be pretty high. Isaiah Wilson, maybe not a top 32 pick, but probably a top 50 pick. Will be a, will be a day two pick at, at worst, I would imagine. Calvin Ashley... Uh, that's entirely like off field, you know, commitment to the game, work ethic type stuff. I, I think, uh, that was a miss by us and by everybody. Uh, cause physically he was out of this world. Uh, Jedrick Wills going to be a first rounder. Austin Jackson, uh, who we actually had higher than the industry, uh, probably going to be a first rounder. Good chance to be a first rounder. Andrew Thomas going to be a first rounder. And then, uh, Austin DeCoolis for LSU, who, I believe is in, is he in this draft or next year's draft? Next year's uh, draft. I think it's next year. Yeah. Going to be a pretty high draft pick, I, I would think as well. That's, that's nailing it. So, yeah. So I pulled up ours. So it was Walker Little, Leatherwood, Trey Smith, Foster Sorrell, Austin Jackson, Calvin Ashley, Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, Cesar Ruiz, Jedrick Wills, Wyatt Davis. I don't know how many names I just named off, but among those, I'd say there's, Calvin Ashley's probably not going to get drafted, and there's a chance Foster Sorrell doesn't, I would guess. But beyond that, whatever that is, 16 names or something, 14 of them get drafted, a lot of them pretty high. Yeah, like almost all of them extremely high, I, I would think, with, with the exception of those two. I mean, which of those dudes are not going to go in the top like two rounds? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Well, and, and it's, I tell you what, though, like it's, it, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good crop. It's a, it was, you know, the industry did 
did their job, but we're the industry. If we're just talking about like hit rate, the industry is also just lucky that there is hasn't been some random quarterback turned offensive tackle that gained 75 pounds over the course of three years and just totally was something that we haven't been able to predict because that's as, as hard as it is to met to evaluate offensive linemen. Ultimately, we still do a pretty good job of getting the ones right that don't add 80 pounds. (laughs) Like the guys, the guys that change (laughs) positions, the guys that go through some incredible physical transformation are typically the ones that we get uh, hit up on Twitter about being, and I do this article every year, right? Like I look at the guys who are zero or two star recruits who go in the first round, and I have, I have, I think it's five buckets for them. So, did you gain fifteen percent or more of your body weight? So that, that's basically like a linebacker going from two hundred to two thirty five, right? Like that's that's pretty damn special if if you do that, you know, or two hundred to two thirty. Like that's a different person. Most guys don't gain. 30 pounds of muscle from 200 to 230 and still maintain their athleticism. Did you play a different sport than football as your primary sport in high school? Are you from a different country? Uh, or did you like, no, cause that happens sometimes, right? Like, like, you know, it's hard to, hard to gauge the competition level in Germany. Uh, and then did you play a different position in like a substantially different position, especially different side of the ball in high school than the position at which you're drafted at. And this year, I'm kind of bummed because we have zero guys so far that I've found who are likely to be first-rounders who were zero or two-stars. So I may not be able to write this article, but I think I'm going to kind of squeeze one dude in here, and that's Zach Bond, Wisconsin, who might be a very late first-round pick at linebacker. I know we're running a little bit long. Sorry, Producer Tani. He fits two of these. He went from 203 to 235, so he gained 18% of his body weight in college. And maintained athleticism, which is pretty crazy, right? Most people don't do that. The other thing was he was a quarterback in high school. So he he checks two of my boxes there. He was from Wisconsin. He was the he was the number number four player in the state of Wisconsin. So like he wasn't like he wasn't known, but he was a dual threat quarterback back when we still use that term in high school. Yeah. That's from a, Milwaukee. That's a good place. You know, that's a good place to find some of these sleeper types. Just the best player on the field playing really bad football. No way to know what they are unless you're the coach that's that's visited the school and, and just has a has an, an understanding of, of what kind of an athlete he is. But um two offers. Wisconsin and South Dakota State. Hey, South Dakota State's playing good football these days too. That'd be <laughs> He'd probably still be in the NFL draft. He landed in South Dakota State, so that's a uh, that's a good one. I think, well, we're at an hour seven, so we should probably cut this off. All right, let's call it. That was good. That's fun. We'll see if we if we uh, you know we'll, we may have a little more pre-draft stuff next week, but uh, that should hold you over at least for uh, for about a week and a half. Uh, download, subscribe, give us five stars. Where your boys take care of us, uh, and uh, yeah, excited to. Excited to see what happens next week and a half or so. Jordan, talk to you soon. Later. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday. Get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.